The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I wanted to uh, continue exploring the story of Angulimala this week, a mass murderer at the time of the Buddha. Um, we got about halfway through the story last time. <laughs> so I'll recap the beginning part of the story for those of you who weren't here. Um, and then uh, explore some of the teachings that... Um, the second half of the story evokes for me uh, a lot of those um, having to do with the Buddhist teaching on karma. And so uh, we'll explore that and the teaching on karma, how our actions have consequences. And uh, for a mass murderer, those consequences were strong. Although not perhaps as strong as you might think. So the story, um, the story actually begins um, at Angulimala's birth when it is foretold that he will be uh, a, a dangerous person. And so his parents decide, knowing this, to raise him as ethically and as responsibly as they can, hoping that that will overcome that, that tendency. It's, you know, it's said he was born in the... The, uh, the astrologers predicted that he, w he had that tendency. And so um, knowing that, you know, nurture can support uh, a person to overcome that, they were, um, uh, they, they raised him to be very um, ethical and um, studious son, sent him off to university where he became a very uh, respected student, his teacher's favorite, um, did very well at the university. And yet, um, because he did so well, I guess you might have called him the teacher's pet, uh, the other students weren't so happy with this. And um, they felt like they lost the attention of their teacher when Angulimala, at that point he was not called Angulimala, his name was Ahimsaka, which meant harmless. His parents even gave him a name that would uh, hopefully uh, inspire him to live up to his name. Um, he, he got the name Angulimala after he started murdering people. So um, in, the, in the story, these students, these fellow students were jealous of the attention that the teacher was giving to Angulimala and they, uh, to Ahimsaka, and they felt like they wanted, um, they wanted that attention back and they felt like the best way to do that would be to undermine the teacher's confidence in Angulimala. And so they started um, telling tales about him. Basically, they went to their teacher and said, you know, we think he's plotting against you. And they did this in a kind of a, um, a very systematic way. And they, didn't, they, they, they went in different groups, three different groups at three different times, um, just kind of feeding the story. You know, he's plotting against you. We think, we hear he's plotting against you. And initially the teacher just dismissed it, but hearing a second time, a third time, the doubt began to grow. And the third time the students said, well, you know, if you doubt us, then just check it out for yourself. And that really began to undermine his confidence. And he, um, 
he went to, uh, he, he decided that he was in danger from Angulimala, even though you know, these, these, uh, these students knew that they were lying, but the, the teacher didn't know that they were lying. And the, the understanding in this is that um, as his doubt was um, increased in Angulimala, he began to, in the checking it out for himself, with that perspective of doubt, he found things to confirm his doubt. And so um, uh, this, this is part of what I, we explored last week, how, how our perspective uh, influences how, what the information we take in. And so I'm not going to cover that again, but that talk was recorded. You're, you're welcome to check that out, those teachings uh, the, around this first part of the story. Uh, and so um, the teacher now believing that he's in danger decides to he decides he either needs to kill Angulimala or be killed. He thinks his danger is that great. And um, instead of killing him directly, he decides to um, have, Anguli, have uh, Ahimsaka do something that would put him in danger. And so he, sa- he tells Ahimsaka that in order to complete his studies, he has to fulfill a task, give an offering to the teacher. And Ahimsaka says, of course, what gift do you need? And the teacher says, I need the fingers of a thousand people. And uh, Ahimsaka says, I can't do that. My family has never been harmful. I can't, I can't do that. Um, and uh, he says, the teacher says, well, then your studies will not bear fruit. And Ahimsaka says, Trusting his teacher, okay, I guess this is what I have to do. And again, here, this is a piece of the teaching we explored last week, how power, power dynamics can play into our choices and into our um, ignorance. When somebody has a lot of power, their, their say, their, what they say can have a lot of sway over us. And what we explored last week, some around that was using ethics as a way to support us um, in, as, a, as, a, as a support for us in our lives. If, if uh, Ahimsaka had held to his, um, his ethics, he wouldn't have followed through, even though his teacher asked him to do that. And so he goes off, uh, becomes Angulimala. Uh, Angulimala, uh, Anguli means finger, and mala means garland. It's the word for mala, uh, um, you know, the malas that people use. And so angulimala means garland of fingers. And it is said that when he um, uh, cut off each finger, killed each person and cut off their finger, he strung it on a garland and wore it around his neck. So he killed many, many people, um, thousands of people and uh, terrorized the area in which he lived, the forest in which he lived. Um, he killed, it said, 999 people. He had nearly completed his task. And the, the, um, by that time, the villages even were being um, ransacked because uh, people had stopped going into the forest. It was, it was fairly easy for Angulimala to kill a solitary traveler in the forest, um, and so people stopped going into the forest. And so Angulimala, in order to get his, um, his 
donation for his teacher, had to go to the village and raided the villages. And so the villages began to empty out and the people in the villages were wandering around the countryside and eventually wandered to the kingdom and let the king know there is this mass murderer in our land. And, um, and so the king decides he needs to do something about this, to go and find Angulimala and kill him. And on the way, um, and meantime, meantime, uh, at another uh, location, the Buddha has with his mind, and this is a piece of maybe the mystical piece, a piece of the mythology of the story, the Buddha in his mind has noticed or recognized that Angulimala is, um, is getting ready to kill his mother because his mother, having heard that um, the king was going to find her son, um, decided to go see if she could intervene with her son and see if she could convince him to give himself up, hoping for his life rather than to be just murdered. And, um, and so uh, the Buddha sees that Angulimala is so uh, enraged and so caught in his story of needing to get this thousandth finger that he would kill his own mother to do that. And uh, so he, the Buddha decides to intervene, decides to... Um, and also he sees that um, Angulimala has a capacity to wake up, that he has been seriously skewed by this teacher, but that he also has deep currents of goodness in him, and that he could, he, he could wake up in this very life. He could become completely free. And so he wants to see if he can stop Anguli's mind. And he does that. He, he, in, he um, cuts off the mother so that he is the person that Angulimala meets first. And Angulimala thinks, he knows that it's his own mother, and he thinks, oh, I'll let my mother be. Here's a monk, he's solitary. He'll be an easy target. Why should I kill my mother? I'll kill this monk. And um, the Buddha, it is said, by his powers, um, made it impossible for Angulimala to catch him, even though he was running as fast as he could, and the Buddha was walking at a normal pace. And this got Angulimala's attention. It frustrated him. How come I can't catch this person? It's been so easy for me to catch everybody else. And so he says, stop, stop. What, what, you know, stop, monk. And, the, and the, the Buddha responds, I have stopped, Angulimala. It's time for you to stop. And in this, um, Angulimala is startled because the Buddha is still walking. So he is not physically stopped. And so his mi- in his mind, he thinks something along the lines of, these, these monks, they tell the truth, and yet he is still walking while I am stopped. So what does he mean? And he, he, he asks the Buddha to explain the riddle. What do you mean, you've stopped and I've not stopped? And the Buddha responds that he stopped completely harming people, harming any harm, any harm. He stopped completely harming. And that it's time for Angulimala to stop harming. This uh, enters Angulimala fairly deeply because at this point he understands that the Buddha has put himself in this position purposely 
to, uh, to save him. And so there's a deep sense of gratitude and kind of awe that the Buddha would risk his own life to save Angulimalas. And in that, there was a, a, a kind of a conversion or a, a recognition of, I do need to stop this, stop this murdering. And so he asks to be ordained. And he is ordained. The Buddha agrees to ordain him. Recognizing, and this is a, a piece of the story, recognizing that he has this capacity to wake up. So, um, meanwhile then, the Buddha and Angulimala are returning to, uh, to the villages, to the kingdom. And um, the... Uh, the king is coming with his band of warriors to kill Angulimala. And they decide to pay homage to the Buddha, knowing that the Buddha is staying, living nearby. So um, the king pays homage to the Buddha. Angulimala is sitting there, shaving his head, shaving, he's, he's in robes. The king doesn't recognize him. And... Um, Angulimala is the Buddha's attendant at this point. The king, uh, with his uh, army, comes and pays homage to the Buddha, and the Buddha says, where are you going with this army? And he says, uh, the Buddha says, is there a war in the neighboring kingdom? And the, Buddha, the, and the king says, no, there's not a war, but there's this murderer, Angulimala. And uh, the Buddha says, what would you do if you saw Angulimala in robes, living the ethical life, not harming beings anymore. And the king said, I would pay homage to him. But it is not possible such a person, it is not possible that such a person could be that, could have renounced that kind of violence. And the Buddha says this, great king is Angulimala. My attendant is Angulimala said that the hair on the back of the king's neck stood on end. <laughs> he was so frightened seeing that this was Angulimala. And the Buddha said, there's nothing to fear. And the king uh, offers at that point, trusts the Buddha, he trusts the Buddha, and offers at that point uh, requisites for Angulimala to uh, live in the holy life. So he, he became Angulim, a supporter for Angulimala, or re, he offered to be a supporter for Angulimala, but Angulimala said, I have everything I need. I do not need anything else. So that's the point where we left the story, pretty much, last time. Um, and um, a lot of what has happened at this point has been kind of in, you know, the world there's been the interaction of um, the students and the teacher and the interaction between the teacher and Angulimala and Angulimala with all the other people. Really a story about how we impact each other and how deep that impact is. And then the Buddha meeting Angulimala and how, how, um, how impactful that was for Angulimala. And so this, to me, is, it's, such a, it's such a story that talks to how the conditions in the world influence, influence us, influence our choices, influence who we are, 
We do not live separate from our conditions. And, uh, and yet there's also the internal dimension of our experience. And this is a part of what I'd like to explore this time. Last time we explored that outer dimension, this time the inner. And so um, it's said that Angulimala had tr- struggles and he, he, he committed to the ethical life absolutely committed to the ethical life. And he uh, went on alms rounds. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew he was um, uh, the person who had murdered some of their brothers and sisters and uh, husbands and wives. And so they were not very happy that he was doing alms rounds in the environment. And... Uh, They didn't treat him very well. More on that later. Um, But he just basically didn't get much in the way of alms. So um, he would eat whatever he was was offered. Um, But he didn't receive much in the way of alms. But he did did the alms anyway as a practice. He would go on alms round anyway as a practice. And as he went on alms round one day, he heard um, a woman having difficulty giving birth. And as he heard that, his heart just opened in compassion and a kind of feeling of, oh, how much beings suffer. This is a, this is a piece of the story that points to an inner transformation in Angulimala, a transformation from somebody who couldn't have that empathetic connection with people to someone who has an empathetic connection with people. And at this point in the story, it's understood, I mean, the, the, the commentaries make it clear that Angulimala has not gotten very far in his meditation at this point. That uh, he has been, every time he closes his eyes to meditate, Before his mind's eye had appeared the place in the jungle where he had slain so many people, he heard their plaintive voices imploring him, Let me live. Let me live. I'm a poor man and have many children. He saw their frantic movements of their arms and legs when in fear of death. When faced with such memories, deep remorse gripped him and made him get up from his seat and leave the meditation. So he was struggling in his meditation. Of course Of course, he was struggling in his meditation. This is some of the inner impact of that 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 kind of behavior, of of murdering, of murdering so many people. The inner impact was always there. It was there before too, even when he was killing people. That inner impact was growing and accumulating. This is the understanding of, of karma. Or karma is a teaching on um, basically how our choices impact, impact us. And the basic understanding is that when... I'll, I'll back up a moment and just talk about karma for a moment. Um, karma is understood to be a natural law. 
It's a, um, uh, just like gravity is a natural law. It's not something the Buddha invented. That's, that's what the teaching is. It's not something he invented. It's a description of the natural way our human minds function and work. Um, so like gravity, uh, if, if you um, hold something, you know, if I hold this up, you know, no amount of wishing, may I, may I place this in midair, is going to make it la- land in midair. It, the gravity, the law of gravity has its effect. So much, in much the same way, the karma is understood to be a natural law. That uh, if we act out of greed, out of aversion, out of delusion then suffering follows. The um, kind of teaching on this from the Dhammapada, the very first verses of the Dhammapada. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, with a mind filled with greed, aversion, or delusion. And suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speaker, act with a pure mind, a mind of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. And happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So this is the, a kind of a statement of the law of karma, that when we act motivated by greed, by aversion, by delusion, it heads us in the direction of suffering. If we act motivated by non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, or to put it more positively, by, uh, by love, by compassion, by uh, wisdom. The um, mind moves in the direction of happiness. And yet... So, so that it's like, it's like every time we act out of greed, aversion, or delusion. And Angulimala was acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion. The delusion because he believed he was doing it in the service of his teacher. Something, something that he needed to do to complete his studies. He was, he was doing it out of um, greed because he wanted to... Uh, to get something from his teacher. And he was doing it out of aversion because it said, at least, that that act of killing over and over again creates a groove of aversion in the mind. Almost that we have to begin to hate in order to kill. And so the, the hatred was a piece also. So he was acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion. And that, those were being worn. It's like uh, when, when we act out of greed, aversion, and delusion, it's like a, 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 the rut gets deeper. And we know this. We know this in our own experience when we uh, do something over and over again, when we have a habit it gets conditioned over and over again. It, it gets kind of easier to fall into that groove, into that rut. Fortunately for us, those ruts are not permanent, unchangeable. 
it is possible through a transformation of the mind that we can move the mind in a different direction. So the law of karma points out this just very natural consequence. When we act on unwholesome tendencies, it tends to create suffering in the world and in our own hearts. We may or may not um, experience that suffering immediately. So this is the place, I think, when Angulimala was killing. He wasn't feeling the remorse and the pain so much directly in the moment as he was killing. He had so many barriers up, so much hatred, so much, um, you know, armoring in his heart that he wasn't feeling the pain of the killing. And yet it was being, the grooves were being worn deeper and deeper. And so the consequences of that, and this is, this is something I think that we need to understand too. Um, you know, the consequences, the, the teaching on karma says that the consequences of our actions may, uh, may not have an immediate impact on us. They may be felt, they may be felt immediately, or they may be felt much, much later. In the, t- the teachings of the Buddha, with the understanding of multiple lives, it's said even those consequences might not be experienced in this life, but might be experienced in future lives. But they will be experienced. The consequences of our actions will be experienced. And so, um, with Angulimala, as he put down the actions that were continuing to armor his heart and explored what it means to open to his experience, he found, I think that probably to this point, you know, my understanding partly about how the path works, um, partly from looking at my own mind, um, the exploration of engaging ethically in the world, the shift from engaging non-ethically to engaging ethically, softens, begins to soften the heart. And we can begin to feel that connection with our fellow human beings. Really, I think this connection, the the empathetic connection that we very naturally have the capacity to feel. All human beings, most human beings, there are some, I think, who do have something where this empathetic connection is not possible. Um, But most human beings, vast majority of human beings, have this capacity to feel what somebody else is feeling. So that empathetic connection. When we behave unethically, it begins to put barriers down in that uh, capacity. But as we engage ethically, it moves us in the direction of having more of that empathetic connection. And to me, this is what this story points to at this point, where he's going on alms round and hearing the pain of the woman giving birth and having so much um, 
feeling of the suffering of beings. It's not even limited to that one being. He says, compassion arose in him and he thought, how much do beings suffer? How much do they suffer? And so his, uh, his practice to this point has opened his heart enough that he can connect And the Buddha understands that this connection is important and that the connection to sila, the connection to ethics, has been an important piece of the transformation. And so he says to Angulimala, he says something that's a little bit of a riddle. He says, Angulimala, go into the town and say to the woman who's having trouble giving birth, Sister, since I was born, I have never purposely deprived a being of life. By this truth, may you and the infant be safe. And Uncle Imala says, I can't say that and have it be true. Thousands of people have been deprived of life through my actions. And the Buddha says, okay, in that case, say... Since I was born into the holy life, since I was born into the life of a monastic, I have never purposely deprived a living being of life. By this truth, may you and the infant be safe. So this is another... um, So it's said that he went into the town and um, stood near the woman who was giving the, the... having the difficult childbirth, stated that truth and both the woman and the child had a successful delivery. So this is another piece of the... To me, it's a little bit of um, uh, almost a mystical or magical or mythological piece of the... of the... um, of the teaching, but it's what it's pointing to. I think there's a couple of pieces it's pointing to. One is the power of truth to ease suffering. Um, I certainly see this in my own, in my own um, life when I am able to actually recognize this, oh, this is actually what's happening. There can be a release from a kind of clinging and a resistance. A lot of the suffering when we don't actually meet what is truth that, that resistance itself is suffering. As to the capacity of a truth, a statement of truth, to alleviate somebody else's suffering, I don't understand that part of the story. I can't explain that part. But it is, um, even in, in, um, in many Buddhist countries at this, um, at, even today, um, Angulimala is, is, he's like the patron saint of, of pregnant women, you know, he he is you know, he is the the one that they they hold him in mind and that truth in mind as they give birth as a as a way to support a a kind of a, a, a an easeful birth, and so it is still believed to this day this uh, this truth utterance of Angulimala has power. In the commentaries, it's kind of interesting. They they talk about you know. Um, why did the Buddha suggest that Angulimala do this? Because it is not generally, the Buddha didn't generally ask 
or recommend that his monks serve as healers. In fact, it was discouraged for them to serve as healers uh, in this kind of a way. Um, And yet, it is said that the Buddha understood that connecting to the truth for Angulimala, connecting to the truth of his ethical conduct. It was his, it was his, it was actually the Buddha, it, it is said in the story, you know, that it was, it was as much for Angulimala's sake to remind him of his sila, of his, of his ethics. Since you have taken birth in the holy life, you have not harmed a living being. Kind of, and I think p- probably the, the contrast was, was a part of the reason the Buddha stated the first, had Angulimala say, no, that's not true. And then the second, and Angulimala say, yes, that is true. To have Angulimala clearly recognize the distinction from that point, And the distinction that, yes, I can say that with truth. I am behaving ethically now. So the, the, the point there is that um, uh, the reflection on truth in that way generated confidence in Angulimala's, in Angulimala's mind and allowed him to sit with the suffering of what was going through his mind instead of abandoning the meditation seat when, he, when all of those memories re-arose. And so it allowed him the strength, reflecting on his own ethics, allowed him the strength to sit in the fire of that, of that pain. And so this is a, this is a piece for us too to re- reflect, and this is actually um, something that teachers will sometimes suggest, uh, that if you're struggling in your meditation t- at times, reflect on your goodness. Remember your goodness. Remember the wholesome that you are cultivating. This is putting into your mind the, the wholesome karma, the wholesome direction it's, it's, it's recalling that in your mind. That creates conditions in your mind that support your capacity to be present. And then it is said that um, with that confidence and that strength, Angulimala became fully awakened. So that um, the possibility of redeemability, (laughs) the deep possibility of redeemability uh, through this practice, through ethics, grounding in ethics, and through this practice. So I really see this teaching as the, you know, the the juxtaposition of the the ethics and the... uh, the meditation, the practice. They, they go together. So Angulimala became fully awakened. And um, still when he went on alms rounds, people weren't, it's like 
This was an inner transformation for Angulimala. And, uh, you know, it, 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 still people didn't uh, give him very many, much in the way of alms. And in fact, uh, basically they, they threw things at him. You know, they threw rocks at him and sticks and stones and he'd come back, you know, with bloody, a bloody eye or, you know, all muddy from clods of dirt being thrown at him. And the, Bu- the Buddha says, <laughs> with blood running from his injured head, with his bowl broken, with his patchwork robe torn, the venerable Angulimala went to the Blessed One. The Blessed One saw him coming, and he told him, Bear it, Angulimala, bear it. You have experienced here and now the ripening of karma, whose ripening you might have experienced in hell over many a year, many a century, many a millennium. So this points to the next piece on the teaching of karma. The results of karma are understood not to be deterministic, so the karma, the karma, there's the two pieces to karma. There's the action, the motivation to the action, the movement based on uh, wholesome or unwholesome tendencies, the unwholesome tendencies moving us towards suffering, the wholesome tendencies moving us towards happiness. And then there's the results. When we act out of greed, aversion, delusion, there are certain consequences. They may happen immediately, they may happen later. When we act from wholesome perspective, we experience the results of those consequences. They may happen immediately, they may happen later. But the results of those actions, it's n- they're not deterministic. They're not set in stone. So there were, there were teachings at the time of the Buddha that basically had an understanding that actions lead to consequences and but certain actions would lead to inevitable consequences. Such as, for instance, if you were a murderer, you would go to hell. That kind of of understanding. The Buddha's understanding of karma and the teaching of cause and effect and conditions um, was subtler than that. There is a result from our actions, and yet the results of those actions are... uh, different depending on the quality of the mind. So there's another, another teaching that gives an analogy about how this might work. So the analogy is um, a tablespoon of salt is like an action of karma. And if you put a tablespoon of salt in this much water, the water is going to be undrinkable. It's going to really contaminate that water when the the tablespoon of salt goes into that. And yet, if you put that same tablespoon of salt into a vast pond of pure water and then take a glass of that, there'll be barely a noticeable impact of the salt. 
And so the, the, the teaching on karma is understood that the, not only the, um, the conditions of the mind, it's said that the same action might produce karmic consequences that are dramatic and drastic for one person and barely felt at all for another. There's still consequences, but the, 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 the strength of those consequences can be radically different depending on the mind. And so an analogy for this, um, like the salt analogy, uh, you know, if you're, if you're um, kicking a soccer ball, if you have a soccer ball, if you kick it, you know, kick it from one side, you know, the, the kick is like, the impulse or the intention to do an action and the, um, uh, you know, the, the motivation, you know, the impulse of the leg, the movement of the leg moves the ball. And if you kick it from one side, it tends to go that direction. If you kick it from the left, it tends to go to the right. And so the, the, um, the kick is like this impulse to move. It's like that motivation. And the direction is like whether it's wholesome or unwholesome. So you kick the ball and it tends to go in that way. But there's so many conditions externally and internally, but in this case mostly externally, um, that influence where that ball goes. You know, if there's wind blowing in the direction of the ball, the least little kick is going to send it a long way. If the wind is blowing in the other direction, it's possible that the ball may curve around and go the other way. So that, that understanding that the conditions of the mind influence the, uh, the results. And also, not only the conditions of the mind, but at, at the time of the action, but the conditions of the mind at any time. And so past actions can be shifted or the, the, the karma of past actions can be shifted through how we are now. So our present, uh, our present actions can influence the past actions, the, the karma, the unfolding of the past actions. And this is what the Buddha is pointing to here, that because Angulimala stopped killing, because he looked into his mind and let go of the greed, of the aversion, of the delusion. He freed his heart. The consequences, there, there was no longer the possibility of the consequence that he would go to hell. Even, even perhaps that he would experience um, the same kind of pain. My guess is, you know, that th- those memories would never go away, Right? Those memories would never go away. But the relationship to them would be vastly different. Instead of being uh, the, the sense of... It would be, I think that the, re- the, the response to them would be more about the compassion than about the suffering of me. You know, it would, the, the, the heart of compassion would be what would be engendered as those memories came up. So very different relationship to those memories. And yet, 
you know, the outer world, you know, the, the conditions of um, what people thought of him didn't change. So this is, again, an inner transformation. The, uh, the consequences of our actions may still unfold. And yet, my understanding is that since Angulimala had uh, freed his heart from greed, aversion, and delusion, he bore no ill will to those who threw things at him. And he did not have mental pain or grief around this perception that other people had of him. This is the way it is. This is how it is. Let's see if there's anything more about karma to speak to. Maybe I'll just stop there. That's, that's the story of Angulimala. Um, he wrote a poem on his enlightenment. I'll read a few of the... Um, a few of the verses, because some of them are quite beautiful. Who once lived in recklessness and then is reckless nevermore. That one shall illumine the world like the moon unveiled by a cloud. One who checks with profitable deeds the evil commas one has done shall illumine the world like the moon, the full moon unveiled by a cloud. O oh, let my enemies but hear a discourse on the doctrine. O oh, let my enemies follow the Buddhist teaching. I think the enemies here refers to the people who are throwing things at him. O oh, let my enemies consort with such a, a kind of men or serve the doctrine because they are at peace. For sure, such foes would not then wish to harm me, nor would they think of harming other beings. Conduit makers guide the water. Fletchers straighten out the arrow. Joiners straighten out the timber. Wise men seek to tame themselves. So, any any thoughts, comments, questions on this topic? One piece that um, occurs to me to just explore because I think it is spoken to in this teaching is the external and the internal again you know the um, the forces on us on the outside are so strong the forces that come from peers from propaganda as those students with the king the forces from power very powerful forces at work 
directing us to shape our behavior. Forces, hidden forces of the culture. So many forces at work. These are what I would call conditions. And these come into play in our unfolding of karma. When we're not mindful, when we're not conscious, and when we're not exploring, holding to ethics, we may be more easily swayed by the conditions, by, by the many conditions, not necessarily looking and bringing wisdom to the choices that we make. And yet the... So there's that, that pow- those powerful forces in our, in our culture. And th- this is an aspect of the conditioning that we live with. And yet, the teaching of karma points to the power that's in our own minds. Because it is not possible for someone from the outside to force someone from the to, to someone to do something from the inside it's um, at one point, at one point i'm trying to think of an analogy an analogy here at one point somebody was talking to saira upandita who um, who was talking about um, uh, someone behaving, uh, taking liquor, basically, and we'll just take this as a story from the uh, the monastic tradition. Um, and uh, the the story that a student apparently was talking to Upandita and saying, you know, isn't just a little bit of alcohol okay if you don't get drunk? And Upandita takes a very firm view on that precept. No alcohol. That alcohol, basically his understanding, I think, alcohol creates the conditions for us to break the other precepts and any measure of alcohol is dangerous. And so he said, well, if you were tied down and somebody poured it down your throat, that wouldn't be breaking the precept. (laughs) And so there are ways, there are times and ways that people can force our body to do actions. But that's a different thing than when we choose to do the action. So the, the results of karma come when we choose to do the action. When, when we consciously or, consciously or subconsciously, because that movement towards the action often happens below the level of our conscious awareness. And so, um, you know, people can do things outside of us. And when we're not mindful, often what is happening is that, you know, our conditioning, the conditioning from our past, the conditioning from our culture, the conditioning from our childhood is, is kind of taking place. And without mindfulness, the external conditions that kind of want to guide us in a certain way. It's like the external conditions of culture and power are like a strong stream heading in a certain direction. And if we're not mindful and aware, we'll pretty much just follow that direction. But the good news is that with mindfulness, we can begin to recognize that 
it's not possible for somebody to make me make that choice. And so while the conditions, you know, Angulimala was uh, steered in that direction through power and um, coercion, essentially, um, it was his choice. And there's, there's, it is said that there is karmic consequence on the teacher as well. You know, because he was instigating. So he's not free from karmic consequences in this situation. Um, and yet Angulimala picked it up. It is said because of his conditioning from previous lives or from his birth under that robber constellation. Um, and so, but this is, this is good news for us too. Because it means that we do not have to pick those up. And mindfulness is the tool that helps us. Mindfulness and ethics together are tools that help us to hold to our commitment to behaving out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion as much as possible moving in the direction of happiness, moving in the direction away from suffering. And so I would say that the conditions, the conditions, the conditions are powerful in our lives, both the external conditions and our internal conditions, which are created from our cultures, what we've picked up, what we've kind of internalized. Those are powerful forces. And yet in this very moment, when we are mindful when we are aware, we can begin to see that moment of choice, that moment when we are picking up a motivation of greed, aversion, or delusion. With mindfulness, we can begin to put that down, redirect in another way. And so the teaching of karma is actually good news for us because it points that our freedom is within our own hands. We are not just subject to the conditions of the past. Choice in this moment radically influences the future unfolding of your life. And now it's time to stop.